texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin? We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. Welcome back to Pull the Pin with Kevin E. Joma. We're brought to you by What You Expect. That's W-Y-E-X-P-E-C-T dot com. We're doing some really awesome work covering the movement, y'all. Whether it's politics, sports, pop culture, music. And we're 100% black owned. So so please support. Uh, support's free. Whether it's sharing us or just liking us on Twitter or on Facebook. It's all appreciated. It's all love. So we have a really great show for y'all this week. In my opinion, it's actually the first episode of my podcast series in which I feature a co-host. I'm bringing on Dua from What You Expect. And we invite a guest, special guest this week, Kyle Cairo, current NFL free agent and uh, former Dallas Cowboy. He's going to be joining us. and He's going to let us grill him for a little bit. Uh, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> Uh, we get an inside look on the Northwestern football team making a push to unionize a couple years back. And uh, we get to talk a little bit about his experiences with the Dallas Cowboy organization. And then perhaps most importantly, we get to touch on what the f- he was thinking when he tweeted about Jill Scott. Yeah, I know y'all remember that now. So, But first... I had to take a little time with this episode because I really hold myself to a high standard and I didn't want to shortchange y'all at all. I didn't. And I also get it. Like there's been a lot of stuff going on. Just this past week, we had the president retweet a quack doctor as he actually continues to undermine the most accomplished doctor and epidemiologist in the country, Dr. Fauci. Right? Go figure. (laughs) He also suggested canceling the election the other day, like the authoritarian that he is. And then um, Herman Cain died of coronavirus, of all things. And if you've been paying attention to politics the last eight months or so, you would understand how tragically ironic this, this his death his death really is. And it was avoidable. Kodak is back, <laughs> and so is the NBA. Um, so while I know there's a lot to be discussed, um, there's almost too much going on. And I, I thought it would be disingenuous to recycle any storylines or just to come on here and discuss something I didn't actually think was important or even worse, in my opinion, discuss something I wasn't actually passionate about. You know, l- Luckily for us, uh, I was actually able to find my inspiration earlier this week. I happened to be driving home from work and I passed through where I grew up in South Orange, New Jersey. Um, in the span of a few minutes, I drove past two sets of paint on the road reading Black Lives Matters. And honestly, I could have crashed my car the way my eyes rolled. You know, because now, for those that aren't from around here, let me give you a little context. South Orange is described by its residents as a New York City suburb, which I always found curious. Um, both my parents 
worked in Newark, more, more or less. And South Orange actually literally shares a border with the, with the biggest city in New Jersey, Newark. But for that reason, though, I'd say in the last 30 years, it's turned into a place made up about 50-50 white and non-white, fairly diverse. Mostly what I would consider middle to upper middle class. No. Now stay with me. South Orange is and has been racist as hell. All hell. Both towns and all the schools within them are still mostly segregated by class and race wherever possible. Back in 2010, in South Orange, the police released the dogs on teenagers. Teenagers out celebrating the first day of spring. I remember it. Rita was offering free ICs. So we was out there. I was there. They released the dogs. Even the elementary schools are segregated. Yup. They're segregating the babies. In fact, it is so segregated, black parents in the area had to sue the actors twice. In fact, the Board of Ed just settled, like two weeks ago. Probably because they figured it wouldn't be a good look to fight that lawsuit and to have Black Lives Matter out front of the high school. Eh, probably a little hypocritical, right? NJ.com actually reported this a few weeks back, and I quote, A North Jersey suburban school district accused of allowing racial segregation of schools and classrooms has agreed to a settlement that will see its integration efforts overseen by a retired New Jersey Supreme Court justice. The deal was announced in separate statements Tuesday by the plaintiffs, the Black Parents Workshop Incorporated, and the South Orange Maplewood School District. While the Black Parents Workshop a group launched in 2014 by, parent, by parents of district students lauded the agreement as a historic victory that will force change in a troubled district. School officials called it a resolution that recognizes the strides this district has already made under the leadership of Superintendent Ronald G. Taylor. Attorney Robert L. Tarver Jr. filed suit on behalf of the Black Parents Workshop in 2018. That's two years, y'all. <laughs> Arguing that the district's decades-old practice of tracking and leveling, which basically grouping students in tiered classes based on test scores and perceived abilities, systematically discriminated against black students who are generally placed in lower-level classes. In 2014, the district reached an agreement with the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights to fix the racial disparities in the advanced level courses. But the BPW argued the disparity could persisted. The lawsuit also accused the district of allowing de facto segregation because five neighborhood elementary schools are majority white and one is predominantly black. Seth Boyden. It is also pointed out racial disparities in discipline and in down and a lack of diversity among faculty and leaders. As a part of the settlement agreement, the district will implement integration plans and related recommendations 
by educational expert and Temple University professor Edward Fergus, which will be monitored ultimately by former New Jersey Supreme Court Justice John Wallace Jr. Right. Right. <laughs> now consider the fact that one of the aforementioned elementary schools sits atop the hill in South Orange. That's South Mountain. Okay. And anyone that knows how these things work here in America knows who lives on top of that hill. Now, these are the same folks that are at City Hall fighting multifamily housing initiatives, busing initiatives, and any type of progressive measure meant to make it a little easier for working class folks and black folks to get access to the same schools that their kids go to. Now guess where the most Black Lives Matter signs are. You nailed it on top of the damn hill. That's Wyoming. That's South Ridgewood. That's Newstead. And therein lies the hypocrisy. See, posturing is cool. All right, posturing is cool and all. But South Orange and Maplewood have been dispersing money required by law to be spent on affordable housing. Not necessarily low income, as the president would like would like to call it, by the way. But they've been dispersing this money to the nearby majority black towns like Orange and East Orange. Okay, so they can build the housing. So don't get it confused. When... When liberals, by and large, in South Orange and Maplewood say Black Lives Matter and put that on their front lawns, what they really mean is, yeah, y'all can matter over there. Not over here. Not in my zip code. And that is so emblematic and problematic of the not in my backyard or NIMBY culture, as they call it. That, perme- that permeates white suburbia. And shit, some black folk too. Some black folk too. Now, you know who else knows this? <laughs> Donald Trump. That's why he's gone full tilt segregationist. Full tilt George Wallace. He struck down the 2015 Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Act. Okay, passed by Barack Obama, which is the legislation that actually requires the money I was talking about earlier to be spent on affordable housing. Listen to what he just said this week. The radical left wants to tear down everything in its way and in its place. They want power for themselves. They want power. Hard to believe power. They want to uproot and demolish every American value. They want to wipe away every trace of religion from national life. They want to indoctrinate our children, defund our police, abolish the suburbs, incite riots, and leave every city at the mercy of the radical left. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And by the way, I just ended the rule on suburbs. You know, the suburbs, people fight all of their lives to get into the suburbs and have a beautiful home 
There will be no more low-income housing forced into the suburbs. I abandoned and took away and just rescinded the rule. It's been going on for years. I've seen conflict for years. It's been hell for suburbia. We rescinded the rule three days ago. So enjoy your life, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy your life. Now, let's be honest, okay? Donald Trump got his ass whooped in the suburbs in 2018. He got his ass whooped. But in spite of that fact, okay, in spite of that fact, he's actually betting on the white people in South Orange and Maplewood and other suburbs like, them, okay, the Boston suburbs, the Philly suburbs, the, the, the Atlanta suburbs, He's actually betting that as much as y'all scream Black Lives Matter or post your little lawn signs or text your black friend, are you okay? You still don't want us in your neighborhood. As your neighbors, going to your schools, or dating your daughters or sons. He's actually willing to wager his entire presidency on it. It's a calculated risk. So there's no more dog whistle. It's a full-blown bullhorn, quite frankly. So what y'all gonna do? How are you gonna respond? Because listen, I tried to tell my cousin this on Facebook, and I'm going to tell y'all here. You can't be against homelessness if you protest a shelter being built in your community. You can't believe in freedom if you don't believe in freedom for all. And you can't be for black lives if you actively play defense against the legislation and policies meant to enforce equity, Mitigate the legacy of chattel slavery, systemic racism, and promote upward mobility. You just can't. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of what you think, I think about you, milquetoast, suburban, liberal, and independent, Donald Trump <laughs> he actually thinks y'all are more racist than I do ain't that something so who you gonna prove right let's pull the pen you been though bro i haven't seen you since you was like 15 years old right um um i've been good i've been good 
uh, obviously a lot kind of going on, I guess, but it's just been, it's been good to see other parts of the country, um, still be able to play football. Um, mostly the most important thing to me right now is the freedom, I guess. Where are you at now? I'm back in Jersey right now. I'm, I have a, I guess we'll probably talk about it later, but I got to see an x-ray and an MRI in a few days. Oh yeah. That's uh, right. Cause my collarbone is, I don't know. I was literally over, maybe overthinking it, but I was like, man, maybe I should have got this surgery because I let it heal naturally and it's taking yeah. a little bit longer than I'd like, but hopefully they clear me on Monday or I think it's Tuesday actually. And then, um, then we'll see what happens from there. But right now I just, I was like, I may as well get out of this lease and save some money because I'm trying to buy a home uh, in Jersey, mostly like as an investment property though, like just to like rent it out kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because um, I want you to talk a little bit about that. You, a lot of folks that uh, that talk, think about athletes, uh, professional athletes, think all the professional athletes out here, um, balling and and living crazy like you would have had three four houses or some something like that tell me a little bit about what about what that what that life really is like you know to give people a perspective on it well yeah that that's actually it's funny <laughs> you say that because a lot of the a lot of the things you see about contracts is like it's the big name contracts it's your pat mahomes it's your russell wilson but a majority of the players on the team are on minimum contracts so based on how many years they've been in the league um, they're getting paid that amount of money. So if you're a minimum contract guy in your first year, the most you can make is, I think it's 480,000. And it's even less for my situation because I was inactive for a majority of my time. So like not getting any in-game action, like that hurts basically how much you're making. Yeah. Um, and then if you're inactive, it's more like you're on a week to week basis. Well, actually, in reality, all contracts are subject to get terminated at any time. It doesn't matter. Zeke, uh, Zeke Elliott right now could get <laughs> could get cut in, in a moment's notice. They owe him a lot of money because he has guaranteed money in his contract. Most players don't have guaranteed money in their contracts, especially if you're undrafted dude. Well, what most people see here, 480000 though, right? They right. think of 480000 you're not even You're not seeing half that, most likely. You're not even seeing half that. And then what are some of the expenses like? for the average NFL player? Well, you're talking, I mean, first and foremost, just taxes. So that's going to cut you down. Um, then it's also like upkeep too. Like I was I was watching something with LeBron. He was saying that he spends like $1.2 million on his body every year. Craziest thing I've ever heard because most people aren't even making it. Tom Brady said the same shit. He said he does like over $3 million a year just on eating and like working out. Right, which I mean... <laughs> It makes sense because they're in, I mean, that's their product, essentially. It's almost like if you were running a, a e-com business and, you know, you got to run ads in order to get sales. It's the same thing for them in a way. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, even still, like if you're in the off season, you're paying for a lot of different workouts, you're paying for uh, nutrition, maybe meals, uh, supplements, whatever it may be. You're training, uh, paying for um, also recovery. So whether it's therapy, yoga sessions, all these different things. It's like, it's an investment within yourself and within your own product, but you know, you're still going to be spending a lot of money. So you're not, you're not necessarily seeing all that as well. Yeah. So are, are you, are you getting your body back right to, to get back in the football? What do you think you, what do you think your next move is going to be? Um, right now, 
football is definitely the focus. Um, I've been able to get back up to 230. My mom be saying that I'm the skinniest 230 pound dude in the planet, which I you guess don't I look am. like 230. You don't look like <laughs> but believe it or not, that's that's where I'm at. I, I it may be because my arms are dumb long that it, it like uh lengthens out, I guess. But so, but even with that, um, that's kind of it's not necessarily out of my control, but it's just like you kind of got to wait for the opportunity. And there's a lot of guys on the outside looking in, even even undrafted free agents that are like just coming out of college this year, this is probably going to be the roughest year for them because they're not going to have camp. They're not going to have OTAs, mini camp and stuff like that in order to prove themselves. So coaches and teams, they're going to go with the players that they know that have at least proven it. So I would say this year more than anything for guys who are late round draft picks and or undrafted free agents, you're going to see a lot less of them playing on Sundays than usually uh, for the rookies at least. Yeah. How much of a difference does that make for you? Um, how how much that factor into you ultimately landing with the Dallas Cowboys? I didn't do a great I didn't do a great job of introing Kyle. By the way, um, I I did a terrible job as a host here. Um, we kind of rolled into it. Yeah, we, we just rolled into it. Um, we have Kyle Caro, who actually went to high school with us to Senior Hall Prep for one year before he ultimately jumped to Bergen Catholic, um, an arch rival. And um, honestly, you know, Kyle might have been one of my one of my closest friends at Seen Hall for the year he was there. And then uh, we kind of fell off when he went to Burton Catholic and everything else like that. And we ultimately uh, reconciled and everything like that. So right. um, he's joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate it, by the way. Um, no, because, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of things going on, a lot of things people want to hear about. But I'll, since we since we kind of jumped into the career, uh, I want to I want to bring it back. Let's actually go back to when you was at Senior Hall with us. Um, I don't know if you remember this. It was probably the third or fourth practice your freshman year. And um, you came to me after practice and was like, yo, what type of, what, what, what you listen to, man? What type of music you listen to? No, exactly what this is. <laughs> and I was like, yo, you know, I listen to little Jewel's Wayne Center. And Kyle actually gave me his iPod and told me, you know, to put my music on his iPod. And I took that back. I took that back home and um, I'm trying to think of what my playlist even was. It was like Drought 3, you know, Dedication 2, uh, Can't Feel My Face, Joel yep. Santana. What else, what, else was on, what else was on that? I'm trying to remember. Monster, because it's Kanye West. Man, remember that? It was you that remember? long ago, right? Yo, you remember that summer, Dwight? No, I remember the biggest, the biggest thing I remember was uh, um, Big Meech, the Rick Ross. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That was the joint that was that I was listening to the probably the most. Uh, and I, I probably asked you about hey, uh, you got any updates on that playlist? Like multiple times over the course of that year, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it got to the point where I got a little defensive on my music. I was like, nah, because Kyle's Kyle wouldn't give you no credit. Kyle be on here, <laughs> Kyle be on social media putting people on the music that I put them on, wouldn't give nobody credit. So I wouldn't. Why did you leave Senior Hall? Like, I, I noticed that, like, after my era of Senior Hall, like, a lot of the, like, young kids who, um, you know, D1-bound kids, they left Senior Hall. I know, like, Sharif Abdurrahim's kid, he's the most recent one. Yeah, he Jabri. Left to Blair. Yep. Jabri. He from South Orange and went all the way down to Blair. Like, what, what, what happened after I left that, like, kids just started jumping ship? For me, it was, like, I... I was playing both sports, basketball and football. And 
I didn't necessarily have like the biggest love for basketball. And once I realized like football was the direction I was going to, like I felt as though Seton Hall was more of a basketball school partially, but then also the most important component was I was trying to play receiver. Like I wanted, <laughs> I was trying to be on some Randy Moss stuff. That's what I grew up trying to be. And seeing Hall prep, they had 1,000 yard rushers, you know, like, and I thought even with Sean McGuire, who ended up going to Florida State and having a good career too, like, okay, they're going to open up this, this playbook. But like, once I seen, like, as we were transitioning to my sophomore year, that like, even in the preseason, we really weren't passing the ball that much. I remember one of the preseason games, I caught, I caught a touchdown on like one of the first plays and we didn't pass the ball. We throw the ball again, again. Oh. for the rest of the preseason. And I was just, I mean, rest of the game, like for the next hour and a half, I was just like, okay, this is like, you're not, you're not going to be a man of your word when we're talking about it. But I understand it because it's like, you know, you have two 1,000 yard rushers. If it's not broken, don't fix it. But I just can't necessarily be a part of that too. Cause I have some things that I'm trying to inspire as well. So. How do you know. think, how do you think you, you and Sean would have, uh, could have ended up working out though? Cause you know, that was that year. Y'all, y'all would have had a whole nother two years together. Right. I think I think Finn actually left Sean's senior year or um, going into his senior year. Finn was gone. Finn retired. He had a new coach that that they started running the spread. How do you think how do you think that would have worked out? Because you ended up going to defense anyway. That's a great irony of the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I was saying that too to my dad. We've been talking about that. I was like, all that went through all that, sat out my sophomore year at Bergen Catholic as well after transferring which was my own mistake, truly, because, man, I was just talking way too much when I was a kid, man, just talking too much. And uh, on social media, I posted, like, a video basically saying, like, why I was transferring. And at that time, I wasn't aware, but you have the athletic advantage rule. So if you're transferring for athletic advantage, or if it's deemed that way, they could not sign your waiver. And therefore, instead of starting sitting out the 30 days that's usual, you sit out the entirety of the year. So that's what I ended up having to do. And then all that just for me to end up playing safety anyways, instead of wide receiver, which like kind of Bergen Catholic at the time was known for. They had Tanner McAvoy, who uh, he was a D1 quarterback at the time. He went to South Carolina and then Wisconsin. Um, so he could sling the thing too, but they were just passing the ball all the time. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then they were just like, yeah, we only play players one way and uh, we have a need at safety and we think you can do it. So I was just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And I just, I didn't, didn't really have, I mean, I probably had a choice, but it would be like, oh, you're going to be selfish. You're going to be that kind of dude. And then, you know, you still need your coach on your side. You still need the school on your side. If you're going to try to aspire to go division one, because that's who the coaches are talking to first. And if the first thing is, oh, he's a mean guy. People are not going to want to want to, not going to want to mess with you. So I had to play defense. What schools were looking at you at that time? Um, um, I saw one of your boys went with you, uh, tight end or something. Yeah, I, I had, I had maybe like somewhere between fifty and twenty offers. A lot of like, a lot of schools like Northwestern were like, in the middle of the pack schools. Um, I I had some like West Virginia, a lot of the Big East at the time, um, and the ACC, but not like your Clemson or your Florida States, unfortunately. But you know, I was looking at like a lot of the academic schools, that's just kind of how my dad was going to push me regardless. So it was your Boston College, Duke, Vanderbilt offered me, um, Northwestern, and then I was really pushing for the Stanford offer, but I never ended up getting it. 
did you have those APs on your schedule? Was that what you ran into? Because I, I ran into a little problem with it. Yeah. Honestly, what I ran into with the biggest problem that I ran into was um, I kind of butted heads with my coach at Bergen a little bit um, because, like, I don't know how, but what, for whatever reason, they made basically – we had mandatory workouts before school. And, like, I was driving from, like, 30 minutes away. Like, sometimes I just miss one of them joints. So That's I great. missed one. And so mandatory workout, you shower upstairs, and then you go to class, da 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 And then you'd have practice afterwards. So I missed one of the workouts, which is, you know, mandatory, voluntary, you know, the – it's not it's not mandatory, but you got to be there kind of thing. Yeah, quotes. Yep, yep. Um, so – I guess with the day that I missed it, Stanford came to visit me and Garrett. You're talking, uh, Garrett Dickerson is the guy who you were referencing as well, who also went to Northwestern with me. Um, his brother also went to Northwestern as well and played receiver. Um, Cameron. Cameron Dickerson. Cameron, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember Cameron. Um, and they're, uh, they're Anklewood dudes in Jersey. So, uh, so Stanford came to see us. I missed that workout that morning, and my coach just kind of – you know, he didn't give me, he didn't give them the, uh, the AOK on me, which I understand a coach has a responsibility in order to like, you know, be credible when he's talking to other coaches because, yeah. or else it's going to harm his reputation with that college. And who was that again? Who was that Nunzio, Nunzio Campanile. Yeah. He's in the, he's coaching in college now, isn't he? Yeah. He's a, he's a Rutgers coach. Yeah. Um, which honestly, that's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, yeah. they, they want to maintain those relationships though. Because yeah. Cause he'll end up in one of those positions himself. So I yeah, understand. Yeah. Um, Nuz was, he was always a hard, a hard ass coach on me. Um, and he's a kind of guy who's like, he's like a, a pit bull himself, like undersized, but like maximized his potential. So you see, you know, you see those kinds of guys. So when you see a guy who, you think has all the talent in the world, but they're not working as hard as you were or as you are, then those kind of guys get pissed off by that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I fought with that for a little bit, but sometimes, you know, he was justified. So I don't, I don't hold it against him anymore. It seems to me it's very interesting. Um, you almost have a pattern that comes up uh, that you seem to be in the right place at the right time. You, When you at Northwestern, this is actually going to go down in what I think is NCAA history books. You guys try to unionize. Um, when the NCAA is um, a far and distant thing in the past, the first chapter of that is, well, within the first couple of chapters, they're going to bring up your team. Um, what, what was that like? Um, during that season and what were some of the discussions like in the, in the locker room when you're going through that it, it's it's honestly an interesting topic because it's like the way it was brought about was Kane Coulter kind of came back with um I'm not necessarily sure his name but he's been on the plight I gotta I gotta find his name um, who's Kane Coulter Kane Coulter was a former quarterback from Northwestern um okay. Super athletic, but, like, we were running the triple option with him, and, you know, he could throw it. Ended up, um, I think, on, you know, bouncing around the league as a wide receiver um, for a little bit as well. But yeah. nonetheless, um, so he came back after he had, you know, stopped his stint from football and was just like, you know, basically sat all of us down and was like, you know, there are areas in – um, NCAA, which, you know, we're all aware about that are unfair and not necessarily taking care of their players. 
um, even not even just like just talking about payment. It's uh, including like, you know, okay, for example, I broke my collarbone, I've broken my thumb, um, and I've broken my forearm. But like, let's say moving down the road when I'm 60 years old, like I can't go back to the NCAA, even though I got injured. And you know, hey, can you take care of this, you know, workers compensation? Or for example, like, okay, I left early for um, to go to the NFL, but I never graduated. I can't come back to my university and have anybody pay for it for me to finish up, even though, you know, I generated thousands of dollars in Jersey sales, even though I had people coming. So just conversations like that, like, you know, not even, and it wasn't the way he presented it was not necessarily like, you know, you know, man, forget about the NCAA that like, okay, well, I'll just say like, you know, bullshit. it's like, all we need is like, we just want to seat at the table. So that's the way he presented it to us. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, even as we were unionizing and moving in that direction, a lot of the white players, like they don't necessarily, uh, and Northwestern is a very white school, even on the football team, it's at least 50. So yeah. 50%. So that's high. The, that's, that's high in D1A. Very, very high. Yeah. Yeah. Where in, when you look at the statistics and a lot of D, division one teams, uh, like almost, I think it's like 82% of them are coming from the poverty line or below the poverty line in terms of like their current living situation. Um, so a lot of them are black players and that's just the reality of the fact, but white players, they're not going to necessarily see like the experience of somebody who's at, I don't know, Alabama, like Alabama state or something like that, or, you know, whatever. So. Or even just a, a, bl a black player on scholarship at Northwestern. That's doesn't have, that happens to come from like Chicago or like, you know, right. it, actually I'll say though, that uh, a player in Northwestern though, we had a 99% graduation rate. Right. Yeah. But a lot of the graduation rates across the NCAA, especially Division One football, are you're talking 60 percent and they yeah. can't even come back to finish later. So it's like you're not even you're literally I mean, you're not that far away from a slave. If we're going to be honest, because you are getting absolutely nothing from your experience. If you didn't at least get a, you know, get a degree, you worked, you provided uh, the institution with, you know, a service and you got nothing out of it and you didn't go to the NFL. So really you just may as well have gone to high school and gotten a job after that, because at least you would have put some money in your pocket. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So just, I don't know. It, so honestly, there was a lot of pushback from uh, even Northwestern athletes within our team, even as we were discussing unionizing. You mentioned something very interesting. Um, were you intimating that the divide on the football team um, at the time at Northwestern about whether or whether or not you guys should unionize and try to fight for um, for pay. Was that split along racial lines, more or less? Very much so at Northwestern. Um, and, and I just want to clarify that it's not necessarily just unionizing necessarily for pay. It was kind of a lot of for all those things, things, the benefits yeah, yeah. that you, that you yeah. get as being a worker. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Just to just to make sure. But it was the the biggest issue, which this is why I give a little bit of credibility and credence to those who were opposed on the team, which were a lot of the white players, if we're being frank, um, was because the unionization was not against the NCAA. If you really look at it legally, it was actually against Northwestern. And the only reason that we can do that was because we're a private institution. There's not that many private institutions in division one football. They're mostly state schools. So mm -hmm. you're looking at Northwestern, you're looking at Miami, you're looking at Stanford, uh, Vanderbilt, maybe, so you're looking yeah, at, it's, it's usually the high, it's usually the high, yeah, it's usually the high academic schools that are, uh, 
independent institutions, right? So they're not state schools. So we would essentially unionize in order to get a seat at the table at Northwestern. But in reality, I mean, I can't speak for other schools, but at Northwestern, we were treated honestly pretty good. So it's just like, yo, why are we attacking? A lot of people feel like, why are we attacking our own university where other people on the other side of the sense who are for um, unionizing, there was just like, yo, this is just a stepping stone. Like, understand that we need a, a space in our own university. And then we move to the NCAA level from there. It's harder for state schools. I'm not necessarily sure why um, to be able to go across the same uh, process, but basically that was why it was also. They'd be, they'd be employees of the state. They'd, they'd right. be, you know, and Potentially, yeah. Yeah, and it's all types of different implications when you start talking about being employees. Of yeah, the they don't have the independence as well as a, a Northwestern student athlete does, I guess, um, within it. So it's just, it, it was definitely a, a weird dynamic on the team but it was what it was. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So just even touching on that, um, the unionizing thing, how do you feel about um, like black players now, this move of going to HBCUs? Do you think that's gonna be part, do you think that'll start helping the bigger schools be like, yo, or the NCAA, like, yo, we need to start paying these players so they'll come to these bigger universities if all the players start going to these HBCUs? Or do you even think that could happen? In football, I don't think it could happen. Because football is, it, it's just too difficult in football because it's a, it's very much a team sport. Like if I'm a basketball player, like some of the ones, you know, five-star recruits that are now going to HBCUs, it's a lot easier. First of all, he can be one and done. So not even one and done. He could be there for five months at a university and go to the NBA. So it's just like, you can't do that in football. You have to be there for three years. Right. And also if I'm a linebacker and I'm one of the best linebackers in the world, right. If I have absolute scrubs in front of me, on the defensive line, like I can't, I can't go to the NFL. You have linemen in your lap. Every, exactly. Every yeah, You're yeah. going to be getting blocked. You're not going to be able to be necessarily the same, same kind of player because it's a much more team centric game. Um, and then also a lot of the players who are playing division one football, they want to go to the NFL. Like we've all had that dream and we all want to do that. So it's just like, what's the most proven track record. And that's not necessarily HBCUs at this time. So, I mean, you can do it, but that doesn't necessarily say like, it should be done necessarily right. that way. Yeah, and meanwhile, we've seen players like Ben Simmons get drafted number one from a terrible basketball team, so. Exactly. We talked about high school, we talked about college. You, now you've had some pro, you've done NFL, you've done XFL, like how's it handling, um, like, I wouldn't say being a celebrity, but like, now you know, I, like for example, me, I, I completely haven't thought about Kyle Kier since high school, but I've seen you on my timeline like multiple times. And I was like, oh shit, that's Kyle from high school. So it's just like, you yeah. knowing that any, like I know even me, like I have 10,000 plus followers. I know any second I can go viral. How, like, how do you handle that celebrity? Like, do people come up with, come up to you on the street? Like, how, do, how, how does that work? Um, see, I, I don't necessarily think that I'm there. Like, if I'm going to be honest and not even just being humble, I just think like, I don't know, when you've seen and been around like Zeke, when you've been around like Dak and it's just fandom like you've never seen and some people are like, don't even know you exist, like that keeps you in, in, which is also the experience for a lot of players because like I was saying earlier, a lot of players are in that minimum contract, um, you know, That's secondary. a rank and file. That's a rank yeah. and file. Yeah, most players are rank and file. 
so it's just however it it was definitely a transition though going from northwestern where like we'll have an 11 a.m game and nobody's there at all to like go and joining the cowboys yeah joining the cowboys which is the biggest franchise america's team of, yeah what, 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 what exactly was that like? Like, um, like Jerry Jones is probably the craziest motherfucker in all of professional sports. Just like bombastic, biggest personality in NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it like just, you know, even being like um, like the 40th player on the roster? What is it like being in Chilocker and Jerry Jones being in the same room? Honestly, it's, it is kind of crazy. Um, also just like, not necessarily like starstruck kind of stuff, but it's just like, damn, I'm, I'm really here right now. Like seeing like Aaron Andrews or, you know, Pam Oliver, which I don't know why that's a weird thing, but like that's kind of the, some of the faces that you see and you think about when you think about football, especially sideline stuff. But I don't know, even um, Jerry Jones, like I remember some of the, cause he does speeches and stuff like after practice and uh, <laughs> to close out the day. And you'd think, like, you know, he's an older man. You know, he might be losing his wits about him. But when he talked, you you really understood that this is a business. Like, and I'm not necessarily just talking about, like, which, you know, people could kind of connect the dots with, like, you know, protests and taking a knee and stuff like that. But, you know, just understand that you really represent, or he was trying to really ingrain that you represent years and years of excellency and something that's bigger than you so understand that before you do anything and uh but psychologically he, he's still definitely there and in the way he did it were you there in the beginning of like the cap shit when like jerry was like if any player like kneels it's a wrap for you but then he eventually kneeled were you, were you there then was that, was that like 2018 right um no i was there a year after that um when they when they kneeled like before the national anthem like i kind of understood what he was getting at but like it was an understanding like before every single game it was like all right let's go out there uh and then coach would say you know take care of the anthem that's all he said take care of the anthem. like which meant like you know stand your ass up stand on that line stand on the line and put your hand across your heart um because when you think about it, like, you know, you know, who's, who are some of the fans of the Dallas Cowboys? Like it's, it's that middle America. So you, I mean, I actually can't be messing the, with the money. The blackest fan base in the NFL definitely. is the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, definitely. The blackest fan base. That's why I thought was so interesting about the whole thing. Like of any team in the NFL, um, the Cowboys have the blackest fans. Right. But it, at, at the same time, it's like, damn, okay. Do I cater to that? blackest fans which is really only 13 percent of the country or i still got the 60 you know, that's you know what's actually interesting well. about this is like the nfl actually ended up being wrong and they're showing that they're wrong now because they soon realized that like the ratings really weren't that bad there was an assumption by nfl owners including jerry jones that their white fans were more racist than they really were yeah right so the year that they're taking on the anthem there's an assumption that ratings are down because of the players protesting when in hindsight, it was probably more because of the treatment of Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. I saw more people who were against the NFL for how they were treating, um, for treating those pro protesting than those actually really, really not watching NFL because players are protesting. The people that talk that shit, they, they live and breathe football, man. They wasn't going. It wasn't going to stop watching the Cowboys because right. of some shit before the, uh, the broadcast. Like, uh, 
Yeah, and just like you were saying, like it's too it's too institutionalized, it's too ingrained in every day. Like these are national, like like when you think about a city, yeah, Sunday is definitely a holiday. Well, you think about a city, you literally you associate the football team and the athletic teams within it. And especially when you're talking about a hundred years, like it's just of of football, it's just it can't be escaped. What else you used to do on your Sunday? You you, you think they're gonna you think they're gonna kneel? I think definitely. Yeah. I think no doubt. Um, I don't. I don't know. This might be for a different conversation, but I don't necessarily know how much. I'm not against kneeling. It's just yeah. like my biggest thing. I'm actually completely for it. My biggest thing is like, okay, we have the awareness and the notoriety around the situation. How do we transition this? Like, what are the next steps? Um, and, and that's just something that everybody's got to think about. So just touching on what Kyle just said is baseball just started and all the baseball, all the baseball, like I think it was uh, Yankees versus yep. nationals. They all kneeled. And I was just like, all right, now it feels political because are you guys going to stand up for something? I mean, and there's a couple of the people day, who still ain't kneeling and they'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah, They'll tell you why. Right. But the next day, the Tampa Bay Rays like put out a statement like arrest Breonna Taylor's killers. And then I was like, yeah, this is dope. what you guys. Yeah, that like dope. that. Yeah, that was dope. That was dope. You need to take these actions, take these steps. So if the MLB is about to start doing that, I think that's super dope. Especially for an institution that's so white, too. Mm-hmm. Or more white than the NFL is, for example, in terms of like their player base. We can player call player. we can call it what it is. The M- baseball baseball's white. Like yeah, baseball's white. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's the last bastion of, of white culture. Mm-hmm. Exactly. America, that's why they call it America's greatest sport, even though black people don't play the sport. <laughs> right. But it is. <laughs> By the way, nice shirt. I didn't compliment. <laughs> no, this is audio only. But for those that don't know, I have a Cleveland Caucasian shirt. Shout out to Bomani Jones. But um, it actually just came in the mail, so I had to throw it on today. Right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, so I actually think this is a this is the perfect place to have that conversation. What are some of the things that you would like to see athletes do, um, and with their voices in the, in the aftermath of George Floyd and? Um, now that it's politically correct to get out here and, um, you know, say Black Lives Matter and, and, and all those things, what would you actually like Black athletes to do with their, with their platform at this point? That's honestly, it's a good question because it's just like, there's so many areas that need improvement. Um, I was watching somebody's story yesterday and they posted, uh, I don't know, Tobias Harris. He answered all his questions. Um, saying, you know, arrest the, the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor, right? And then she followed the story, and she's a Northwestern uh, athlete herself, and she followed her story on social media saying, by the way, I'm not um, applauding them for that. I don't think that this is enough. So I was just like, okay, you know, how, not, not that we're just trying to do enough, but it's just like, there's so many areas that like anybody could fall, find fault in anything like that you're not necessarily doing enough. Your voice is not necessarily enough. Okay. Oh, you donate. That's not necessarily enough. Um, yeah, exactly. It's just like, um, but yeah, it's, I was really touching on some real. Yeah, I agree. With it, it, it's just, it's kind of tough. Um, it's tough to say. And there's like the age old question of like, yo, um, 
well, multiple of them. It's just like, okay, do we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or, you know, do we have to call for some government assistance and, you know, to change some of the, the systems that are in play? Or the question of like, you know, do we just do it on our own or do we try to get, you know, some white allyship and uh, people or, you know, do we do it by ourselves or do we go to the voting booths? So it's just like, man, there's so many areas that it's kind of hard to like necessarily stay pick one. Um, yeah, I wanna, I, 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 I'm I, not I, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I ain't trying to pull the pressure of the whole movement on you for sure. Yeah, one, uh, yeah. It, that's exactly what I wanted to say, to say. So Malcolm X said this and it went viral and it was like, oh, uh, recently he was like, black people are the only group of people that people look at their, their entertainers to like push the movement. And I was just like, you're right. Like we, like I want to, like I want to see, like who's the the black political leader speak? Obama. Like those are the people who we need to, who who really need to push, um, this type of this big of a movement. What Tobias Harris and LeBron and all them doing? Yeah, they're answering questions, answering uh, arrest uh, Breonna Taylor's murderers, and that's that's what they can do because they can donate all their money. It, but the, it is at the end of the day, it's going to come down to politics. So you need black politicians to really really make the change because in the, and right another on. thing the ad is even or the ag is even black in kentucky and he's not even doing anything so it's just yeah. like uh, we, need those, <laughs> those, we need those we need those black people of power to really use their power yeah whether or not they're just like government cronies or like you know talking figureheads kind of thing for for other people in the background i know the exact video you're talking about uh malcolm x i i think i actually posted that video underneath uh what's his name you remember, De you know, Desi Banks, the uh, comedian yes. or whatever, who was, and he was That's like, when it went kinda, viral. That's when it went yeah, viral. he was bashed. Um, and I, he was bashed for saying like, yo, we shouldn't be uh, rioting looting. and stuff like that. Yeah, looting, which, you know, however yo, you feel about that. They came after um, him fast. Yeah. Man. <laughs> and it's just like, I, I kind of can understand why we turn to some of the uh, entertainers when it comes to that area, because we don't necessarily have, um, a lot, the, of visible, the black a lot of visible yeah. black people yeah the most visible black people and the ones that we prioritize since you were young was okay i'm gonna be an athlete or i'm gonna be a rapper so it's just like one of the two and maybe comedian as well i guess too <laughs> yeah entertainer entertainer right. yeah in any it. sense yeah. better yeah. better get to entertaining these white folk as dave Chappelle said <laughs> right <laughs> It's almost a natural segue. Uh, you brought up Desi Banks getting dragged, and uh, you recently found out exactly what that that Twitter monster can be like. Um, right. I'm, I'm sure inquiring minds want to know. Um, they've been waiting for it, so why not why not address it? So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kyle sent out a tweet. How about you describe it, to Kyle? I'll, I'll I'll give you the floor. Yeah. Um... <sighs> Yeah, that, that ended up being a monster on its own, but... This is actually, before Kyle, before Kyle says, this is why I asked you earlier, like, how do you feel, like, realizing that you're famous, but you can go to what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, That's the moment I, you realize you was famous. Oh, shit. <laughs> and, and I guess you, one could say infamous, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody regarding um, the Erica Badu and Jill Scott battle, right? Oh, I love me some Erica Badu, man. And you know, I I personally didn't grow up on either of them because my mom had me 
listening to classical music and my dad is Spanish. So we were listening to that or we listened to jazz. So I wasn't really, but I knew about Erica Badu because, you know, generally like people talk about her sex appeal and her and all that other stuff if we're just being frank, right? So I was just like, huh, I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm discussing this with somebody else and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa I got to stop you there. Like people think Jill Scott is dumbass sexy too. I was like, first of all, I barely even knew that or haven't really even listened to much Jill Scott. So I was like, on this, and I was like, on the same level as Erica Badu, the way they talk about Erica Badu, he was like, yes. Like, did you, he was like, did you see what she did to that mic? And I was like, what? I know. I don't, I don't know if y'all have seen that video. <laughs> I, got, I got alerted to that video very soon after I tweeted that. So just in passing, I just tweeted like, y'all are attracted to Jill Scott. Now I must admit, the, add, the add, you have to add you have to add that you put it in all caps. Exactly, exactly <laughs> what I was gonna say. Exactly, I said I must admit the way that I phrased it was absolutely terrible. I've tweeted many things that were just foolish, not to that level, apparently. But and like it was just kind of like in passing, like just da -da -da, just tweet whatever. And I get back to my phone after like twenty minutes. <laughs> And it has like 300 responses. And I was like, oh, wow. This is, uh, you know, and I wasn't taking it. I wasn't trying to say it like, how could you? I was, because the initial responses were like, yes, she's bad as hell. Da -da 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 -da. And I thought that's, that was the direction that it was going to continue to go. So I left the tweet up because that's that, those were the responses that I was seeing. Then shortly after, it was, it became what it was, which was like, Basically, people, people taking the opportunity to connect dots that they thought I was insinuating that how could somebody be attracted to her um, because I guess she's a plus size woman in their minds, whatever it may be, or, and basically because she's a black woman. Like, let's just, so it was, it, it got connected to like, oh, this is another example of a black man hating a black woman. Um, another, and then also me being an athlete, oh, this is a black athlete. He must be attracted to. And, white, and they are Cuban. White, yeah, I saw right. I saw connections to me being Cuban as well. This is another example of, you know, the Latino. I'm a black man. It doesn't make no difference. I'm ethnically, I mean, like culturally, I was raised by Cubans. Those are just but, people reading your bio. They they hadn't actually looked to see what yeah. you, what you actually be about. And so, you found out he was a Kappa. I seen that. I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that they too. Be a light switch. Uh, oh my god. I was just like, Yo, man. But, but just to just to touch on just before Kyle gets any deeper. And I talk to, I tell my friends this all the time because you need to watch what you say on social media because what Kyle said for real was, it's like, is this what you guys look at as beauty? Because I don't know, even want to put words in your mouth, but I would say that's like, how it was. I think that's how it was interpreted is like, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Not, not yeah, my, initial, like, my, my initial intention necessarily. Yeah, that, I'm not saying this is his intention, but it's just like when you say that, it's like when we're, we're brainwashed as, you know, we see the Instagram models, like Jill Scott looks everything that isn't what, you know, we, we see on TV. And that's exactly why black women ride for Jill Scott so much because she's the opposite of that and she's still beautiful. So it's just like seeing that from any, any black man, it doesn't even have to be an athlete. Like I always tell them, watch what you're saying because do not speak down on black women. They'll, they'll find it and it'll go viral. And Kyle just called a straight because he had a blue check. 
you're right about that. That last part, he caught a stray because he had a blue check. And that's what I really saw is that, you know, with that blue check opened you up to a whole lot of incoming because people want to take you down a peg. Shade Room's out here, hashtag Kyle Kiera. I was like, damn, this is Oh, crazy. my God. Yeah. I, I was praying uh, that it wouldn't get there. I was really was. It, it was on I, the Breakfast Club, Donkey of the Day. Another, oh, my God. And I was just like, I mean, it is kind of what it is. But it was just, I, I, I at the same time understand it. Like, regardless of what my intention was, even if it was just a tweet in passing, like I know better. Um, and I'm very aware I've studied it like the hundreds of years you've against talk, black women. You've, talk, you've talked about it. You've right. Tweeted about it. And you know, especially in this country where we have the this weird complex standard of beauty, which is like the white standard of beauty. Now we're like intermingling the new like Instagram stuff. You know, you got the Kim Kardashian body. And like you said, Jill Scott is really none of that. So it's gonna get, I don't know, like some of the, some of the messages and responses that I've gotten, a lot of them from being from black women, like some of them have been like, you know, you know, I read down your tweets and I know that you're not necessarily about that. Like, cause like you, you go down five tweets and I'm talking about like, oh, um, why aren't we taking, um, rape allegations that uh women come forth why are we taking those seriously enough and stuff like that and but you go on the opposite side it's like you know um people were saying like oh i saw you broke your collarbone next i hope you break your neck like it was just it got it got kind of crazy <laughs> so it's just i don't know it's, how did you uh, feel about that though like you know getting that much hate because everyone always says it's going to happen to me one day so if you got any tips it's uh it to, definitely it definitely to... really turned me off to social media because yeah i've seen you haven't been as active yeah i was just like man this is like it's it's a weird situation that we're in with the cancel culture because it's like okay we're we're trying to be tolerant of all people all groups of people which is absolutely necessary because there's a lot of people that are marginalized but at the same time, we're not necessarily tolerant of anybody who speaks anything outside of that in any framework. And if you do, like, rather than you know, you're going to be canceled. Rather than educate. Right. Yeah. And, but the, the, I'll say the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways that I had from it was um, I was having a conversation with a young woman who, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't necessarily like blast her off, but I was having a conversation with a young woman and she basically confided in me in a way that she had been sexually assaulted. Right. And she said to me, you know, Kyle, with the same platform you have right now, you were able to make the shade room, be on the breakfast club, do all these different kinds of things for some absolute nonsense. When you could have been using that exact same platform to make the same kind of like news and you know, call out a culture that doesn't hold uh, men accountable for sexually assaulting women. And I was like, damn, that's more than anything that I read that was like really insulting and all that other stuff. Like that probably hit me the deepest because I was just like, damn, what am I? What am I really doing in terms of like trying to make a positive impact, or am I just like engaging in foolishness and banter? Um, but yeah, that was that. That shit hurt. But my response to like some of the some of the negative stuff was just like, turn off all my notifications. My message requests though were still getting blown up. And I'm not gonna lie, I had to read a few of them. Some of them were, some of them were low-key kind of funny. Talking about uh, 
damn, the, your CTE is setting in pretty early, huh? Kind of violent. Huh? <laughs> 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 I was like, come on, bro. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> listen, I was I was going to say before, like, you know, like Twitter's a place where, and I don't say it to be devil's advocate or anything like that, because I agree 100% with everything that we're saying right here. Um, Twitter's a place where people are constantly sharing, um, sharing opinions. Uh, I often think technically you were even sharing an opinion at that point. You were asking a question, the way you worded it, and you know yeah the way i word it, it, it made it seem like it was coming from a place of opinion but you actually lacked one and that was clear um but social media twitter in particular is a place where people are constantly like you know um for examples the snoop versus dmx versus right the jokes came out we saw dmx right the jokes came out a little mm -hmm. bit and things like that um like i think from it's a learning experience because one, you know, you really just stepped into a landmine. Like Jill Scott is probably the only, um, the only person that you could not with a blue check next to your name. You could, it, but it's not, but it's not like people don't speak about her though, right? It's because of where he's speaking from. Okay, it's right. um, you could have said some, you could have said something. Um, if I said Adele, critical. it would not hit the same way. It wouldn't hit the same if you um, criticize uh, Saweetie, right? Um, it wouldn't hit the yeah. same way. Right, because she's got I mean? a, a level of privilege, I guess, in a yeah. way. Yeah, right. I guess that I guess that's the reason why, right? That was um, my that was my point. That was my point. Good good shit, Kevin. Yeah. And you know, I think the the backlash to me, um, because I'm one of these people that I'm I'm a little bit of a, a contrarian, but for me, the backlash as I'm looking at it, it's almost um counterproductive because what that what that over what I consider straight up an overreaction when you start telling people to break their necks and things like that overreaction right but what I see there is of course black women are um are people that need to be defended because no one else is defending them right but when um when people take it to a place of your fat shaming and all these other type of things that you weren't even bringing into the picture I think that actually does more damage than you were actually a meaning to inflict in the first place y'all y'all follow what i'm saying because like yeah. you, you ain't you ain't really saying nothing about you ain't really saying nothing about that so when i'm seeing like oh you must hate big right. hate fat women and da, 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 i'm like whoa hold up like first of all i don't think Joe Scott's that big right i didn't i, I, I said so, that to somebody else like and, yeah i'm like yo hold up my problem though is that you can't every time you bring up weight it can't be fat shaming because it's only it's only fat shaming if you think right. being big is bad Right. Yeah, you know I mean, and if I don't associate as someone who if I don't associate being um, bit being big with being unattractive, then I, I don't really see a problem in saying, hey, like Joe Scott's here. Lizzo's over there. They all they're all gorgeous. Um, I actually think Lizzo's really gorgeous, but that's just me. That's my opinion. And and I think Twitter's Twitter, social media, all these places, my podcast, for example, should be places where we're able to share those opinions as long as we're not tearing people down. And I think where you stepped on the landmine as people construe right. what you wrote as tearing her down. Yeah, I think it's also like, I don't know, at first, my first initial reaction too was, okay, um, you know, people, I, since I never said anything about her weight um, or anything along those lines, like, I don't people know. Were I, I people were telling on themselves, they were telling on themselves. In a way, in a way, yes, but it was just like, okay. But at the same time, 
I still know better because I understand that there is an insecurity in terms of and insecurity, I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, but I'll use it for now, that people are, are feeling regarding their weight, regarding them being black, regarding them being a black woman, especially when the standard of beauty is everything in the exact yeah. opposite direction. So um, I can kind of, that's why I can kind of like feel how people were saying. And that's why I was like, damn, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't necessarily matter. But the fact that I put her name in like all caps, like now it's just, it's, free for interpretation for all people and i think um in response to like some of the people who were you know i guess you know as you put it overreacting to some of the things that i said it's like social media and twitter is like it gives people a great opportunity especially people who feel like you know voiceless an opportunity to to share their voice so it's like you know they them coming in defense of jill scott is also really them coming in defense of themselves against a society that doesn't necessarily see them as beautiful um and me being like a figurehead of that because you know i have a blue check or because i'm in one of the biggest institutions as an nfl player or whatever it may be right so it's just like yeah and me being a black man too it's just like all the things are really aligned to to a head um and that's why i think it kind of got the response that it got and you know at first I was like, nah, this is bullshit. But I was like, you know, at the same time, rightfully so in a way as well. I wanna I, I don't wanna take too much of your time, Kyle. I wanna let I wanna let you go, but I do wanna give you the opportunity to at least let us know some of the things that you're currently working on right now. And um, if at all, you did mention your writing and things like that. Um, why don't you tell the folks what you're doing right now? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess I did mention it in passing. Um, right now I'll probably head over to my father's house, but we're working on a project. Um, basically it's just, it was a YouTube channel that I already had, but I kind of want to just transition it uh, more just politic focused. Um, and trying to just present arguments that are hot button arguments right now, the topics that are on everybody's mind, such as police brutality, and just give both sides of the coin. Because I feel like a lot of the time right now we have, um, you know, you got figureheads like Candace Owens or whatever, and you know she may be pushing one agenda. And if you agree with her, wow, it's perfect. You know, it's like she's preaching to the choir, and uh, you know you share it or whatever. And if you don't agree with her, then you don't listen to her, right? So it's just like, okay, I'm just following the masses kind of talk, but. Um, what I'm trying to do on Kyle Q TV is the name of it right now, um, is just try to give both accounts as much and just put as much information out there and let people make their own decisions for themselves. Cause I feel like sometimes we kind of have a, a little bit too much of a sheep mentality is kind of what's been coined as of right now. But, um, yeah, that's definitely what I'm working on. Also, I worked on a project right now under educating athletes which is me and my father's uh nonprofit, where we focus on um basically getting student athletes high school student athletes scholarships um and we made a comprehensive course um just teaching kids you know how to reach out to coaches how to construct your highlight video um because basically we were working with like 15 kids a year and we we're like you know what let's just take all the things that we do take all the college contacts that we have put them into you know this video course and uh push it out to people so that they could be able to use it uh for themselves because you know sometimes like we were just talking about that college scholarship and not having student debt is you know it's so huge important, so it's huge yeah man
No, that's dope. That's dope. I actually didn't know that you had a nonprofit. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Wow, did you have anything you wanted to you want that? I'm the founder of uh, What You Expect. It's a media publication, Black-owned. We do sports, politics, music. We have podcasts. Um, we do everything, Kyle, if you want to fuck with us. Definitely, you know, we promote people. We get a lot of page views. So uh, that's something I started last year. I actually, it was basically a plan to make that like the promo for my podcast, but now I kind of don't podcast currently. So um, this is more so, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build complex because all those black media outlets are not owned by black people. So um, make sure you what you expect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we can expect to have Dwa on this podcast a little bit more often as we move forward. Um, It's definitely been a pleasure. Thanks, y'all. I really appreciate y'all taking a little bit of time out to join me today. Uh, Thanks for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to Pull the Pin with Kevin Joma. Brought to you by What You Expect. That's W-Y-E-X-P-E-C-T dot com. A special thanks to all my listeners. Please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Stay informed, y'all. And vote this November. Like your life depends on it. Because it just might. Peace.